From WNET in New York, I'm Tom Stewart, and welcome to WNET Up Next, where we take you behind the scenes for a look at what's happening in the world of public media and help you get to know the people who make it all happen. In the summer of 1969, America witnessed three major events that changed history. In our last episode, we focused on the Stonewall Riots in New York's Greenwich Village, which brought a new level of consciousness to the struggle for gay rights. In August of that year, our culture was transformed by a music festival that's become legendary, Woodstock. But it was in July of 1969 that the entire world bore witness to the amazing achievement of the first manned landing on the moon, Apollo 11. And with us once again is Chris Chaika, WNET's Senior Director of Community Engagement, to share with us more about our celebration of the summer of 69. Chris, welcome back to WNET Up Next. Thanks so much, Tom. And I'd like you to tell me again about this special focus on the summer of 69, how it came about, and, and why it's so important to look back on that particular year. Absolutely. For the past few summers, WNET has been launching ongoing summer celebrations or giving ourselves a different focus or a different reason to, to have a party. Um, a few years ago, we did the 13 Days of Harper Lee initiative, which was focused around the launch of Harper Lee's second book. Last summer, we got many, many people involved all across the city in the Great American Read, which was the PBS initiative to help pick America's favorite novel, which we revealed in October was actually Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. A little and, prescient. Uh, uh, exactly, exactly. And this year, as the summer was approaching, PBS at a national level was really shining a spotlight on the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, and they were calling it the Summer of Space with a huge lineup of special programming focused on Apollo 11 and the history of the space program. But we sort of widened the iris a little bit because of our connection locally to the Stonewall riots and to the Woodstock Music Festival. We didn't want it just to be a celebration of the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, but rather a celebration of the whole summer of 1969. So last month in June, we had a lot of special programming and content focused on the Stonewall Uprising. This month in July, there is a ton of content that we have focused on the space program. And next month, there's going to be a lot on air related to the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. Let's talk about Apollo 11 for for a second. Uh, What do you feel its significance has been to us? Well, I think, you know, there's there's kind of the the history book version and there's the impact that it had on people. The history book version, you can hear many, many people say it was such an accomplishment at the height of the Cold War. It was such a moment of pride for people in the United States. It, you know, set the stage and laid a foundation for all sorts of more sophisticated space travel. One of the things that we've been learning about as we've been working on this project is, you know, all of the things that inventions and everyday things that that are descendants of the space program, everything from medical imaging to weather satellites, fire-resistant materials, video game joysticks, all of those things entered the world because of the space program. But I think at a much more personal level... It is absolutely one of those things that if you were around and conscious in July of 1969, you remember where you were, you remember where you were watching it, you remember who you were with. And 
you also remember the tension surrounding it of would these people make it and was everything going to be okay? In one of the documentaries that PBS is premiering, the astronauts talk about the fact that once they returned from the moon, they literally traveled the world. And the sentiment that they were greeted with as they traveled the world was not, you did it. It was, we did it. So people all over the planet Earth had this immense feeling of accomplishment and pride that people had gone and walked on the moon. I was uh, one of those people who can tell you where I was. And uh, again, it, it had an incredible sense of, of excitement and positive feeling about that achievement because it had only been about less than 10 years before when the goal was set, and it was a national goal to, to do that. And uh, the, the culmination was just tremendously exciting. PBS has dubbed this the summer of space, and I counted almost, I think, more than a dozen programs that are going to be brand new shows and also some repeated programs. Uh, one of them I, I know is the American Experience film, which is called Chasing the Moon. This is a right. new one, right? and apparently this is going to be the entire story of the space race from the very beginning to the moon landing. There's also one called uh, Eight Days, The Journey of Apollo 11. This is a brand new program. It has the uh, original audio from the space mission that will take viewers inside the spacecraft. It's also going to have a, a CGI recreation of yeah, the journey. Yeah, that one, I, I've seen some clips of that one, and that is very compelling and, and, and just fascinating to watch because what they've done for eight days is they took the original audio, as you said, all the transmissions from the mission, and then they have recreated with human actors, mm -hmm. the astronauts and the spacecraft. So you are seeing recreations of actors, but you are hearing exactly what was said. They're recreating the actions of the astronauts. And it's really quite unbelievable to see the amount of space that they were in, what they were wearing, the size of the windows they could look out. And it's pretty claustrophobic. We have really gone to another technological era with our own content. And I'm referring to the idea of streaming. You know, when people were watching the moon landing in 1969, everybody had to be at their television at that moment watching it happen in real time. Appointment viewing. Like Appointment viewing. But many, many, many of these programs that we're putting on for the summer of 69 are going to be available streaming on the PBS website. The American Experience Chasing the Moon series and the Eight Days series, those are like mini-series. Mm -hmm. So people want to watch them at their leisure. Those are going to be available throughout the summer on streaming services from PBS. Uh, so people don't have to do that appointment viewing, and they can take them in when they'd like to. Right. A little bit of binge-watching, mm -hmm. uh, public television style. Recently, WNET's Katie Young sat down with five New Yorkers whose lives were transformed by the space program in Apollo 11. First, let's hear from Mike Massimino, a one-time NASA astronaut and now a professor of mechanical engineering at Columbia University. In the summer of 69, I was six years old and uh, living at home still. I was with my parents in our home in Long Island, Franklin Square, Long Island. So that's where I was, spending that summer in, New York, in uh, Long Island, New York. I can remember things before Apollo 11, but I think Apollo 11 was really the first event that I can remember meaning the build up to it and what it was about and then it actually happening. So it's one of my first real memories of an event that was occurring. I remember the build up, I remember Apollo 10. I remember the talk, the news, the teachers talking about it in school toward the end of the school year leading up to the summer. 
that the astronauts were going to go to the moon or at least try to go to the moon on Apollo 11. And then I remember watching the launch from my school during the summer. We had summer recreation, so I remember being there and watching the launch, and then I remember watching the landing uh, with my parents in our home, our family home in Franklin Square. And I idolized those astronauts. They were, to me, the coolest guys ever. And I saw what they were doing, and I thought in my little head, that's what I want to do. I want to grow up to be like those guys. Apollo 11 was, for me, I, I think the most influential thing that's occurred in, in my life, uh, getting to see that event on, on television. Not only was I interested in what they were doing, but also in the, the astronauts themselves. And I idolized them. They were my heroes. I wanted to grow up to be like, like those guys. And it wasn't just to be an explorer. It was to actually, I wanted to grow up to be an astronaut, to be one of these people who had not only plan the missions or be involved in some way, but, but actually go on those missions. The seeds that were planted by Apollo 11, for me it was the most important thing happening and the most important thing ever, the most interesting thing ever, but I also realized it might not be that way for everybody. So I felt like there was something a little bit different about me because I really, really thought this was, was cool. Everyone thought this was great. I think the whole world was in pretty much agreement. Maybe not everyone agreed with it at first or thought we could spend money a different way or something. But I think the way it turned out, it really did unite the world. And everyone, or pretty much everybody, or a lot of people anyway, thought this was a great accomplishment and a good thing that we did. And, and the whole world, I think, felt like that. For me, it was a little bit deeper. I, I knew that there were a lot of things going on that were important, a lot of interesting things. But for me, it, 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 seemed, it seemed to be a little bit different. That space exploration was a little bit different to me than it was to everybody else. It was something I really wanted to be a part of. But as I got older, I kind of, I don't know if I really lost interest, but I, I kind of thought there was no way I could become an astronaut. I thought, how do you grow up to be like Neil Armstrong? That's impossible. I couldn't do that. And it wasn't until I graduated college that I really started thinking about, not only about the astronaut program, but about even a career at NASA. I, I just, for some, it was just out of my, my sphere of influence, I guess, as, as I was growing up. So it really wasn't until I got older, out of college, I graduated uh, as an engineer from Columbia, that I started thinking about what I wanted to do career-wise a little bit more seriously than I had before. And that's when I thought about, well, you really do want to get involved with the space program. That's what still, even though, was, even though I hadn't done much about it, those seeds were planted at a very early age. So I started uh, applying to the space program when I went to grad school. I went to grad school with the intent of trying to get the right credentials to be a part of the space program and to maybe one day at least be able to apply to be an astronaut. I never thought I could actually ever get selected to do that because I thought that that was near impossible and it kind of is. I mean, it's hard to get picked, but I thought at least I could try and I could be a part of the space program. And while I was in graduate school, I started applying. I got rejected twice while I was in grad school. Every couple of years, NASA is looking for astronauts and those first two attempts, I, I was turned down. And then I applied a third time after getting out of grad school. I was working at the Johnson Space Center and at that point I got an interview, so I was a finalist, and then I got rejected after that. And then uh, I applied a fourth time uh, when I was a professor at Georgia Tech. I mean, every time there was a chance I applied, but I got picked up on my fourth try in 1996 and had a chance to fly twice in space on the space shuttle to the Hubble Space Telescope. I think about me as a little boy dreaming about doing those things and watching those men on television. And I had my astronaut Snoopy my older brother Joe is, is 10 years older than I am, and 
he was working in Manhattan that summer and he, he bought me this because he knew I was a space nut and he bought me this astronaut Snoopy and I still have him and I brought him to space with me and I, he's now on, Snoopy's now on display at the Trepid Museum for a little time. I'm getting him back but he's on display now. And I think about that. I think about that little boy dream I had and what is kind of crazy to me is not only did I get a chance to be an astronaut but also I've gotten to know those guys. I've gotten to know all of the spacewalkers. Michael Collins was the command module pilot on Apollo 11, and I liked all the astronauts, but he had the same name as me. So when I was six years old, that was very meaningful. And I've gotten a chance to become friends with him and his family, and I got a chance to meet Neil Armstrong, got to know him a little bit, and Buzz Aldrin I've gotten to know a bit, and all these other heroes that I had uh, as a small child of now I consider them to be colleagues and friends, and it's kind of crazy in some ways, because I adored them as a little boy. And getting to know them, believe it or not, is, was, was not disappointing. Um, they lived up to anything I could imagine that they would actually be in real life. So when I think back to that, to that, these moments that I have sometimes, I think of, you know, I'm actually uh, I'm having a conversation with Michael Collins or whoever it might be from Charlie Duke or Alan Bean, who passed recently. So, but these friendships I developed and meeting the people that made it happen and becoming an astronaut, and I, I, to me it was, uh, it was something that grew out of this little six-year-old boy's dream that occurred in the summer of 69, primarily watching the television set and watching those, those three men go to the moon. That was Mike Massimino recalling what Apollo 11 meant to him and his career. In the summer of 69, Judy Natkins was working at MIT. MIT had the contract for Apollo 11. So even before the moon landing itself, I used to periodically go over to the building where the programmers and systems analysts were for the uh, Apollo 11 because I sometimes used the computer over there to do my work. So I knew some people who were working on the moon landing. And the day of the moon landing, what happened was my new boyfriend and I decided to go to Rockport. We were on the beach, on the beach blanket, and I was looking up at the moon, which happened to be visible that day. And I was thinking, this is absolutely amazing. There's a man up there. I wonder if I can see him, but of course not. But it was just the most incredible experience because up until then, people used to talk about the man on the moon, but of course there never was one there. And on that day, there was. The fact that John F. Kennedy declared that we were going to land on the moon was just amazing in and of itself. And the fact that we actually did it was a testament to how well the United States had developed its science capabilities to be able to accomplish a feat like that. And, so, and also the fact that what people used to think was impossible proved to be possible. So people used to say, it's just science fiction that somebody could actually go to the moon you know, that's just sheer impossibility. But in fact, the United States accomplished what everybody thought was impossible. And the wonderful thing about the moon landing was the fact that the whole country and actually the whole world were united in support of this incredible accomplishment. Now a professor of astronomy at NYU, in 1969, Dr. Gersita Jones was a 13-year-old living in Memphis when she watched the moon landing with her family. In 1969, I was just 13 years old, but I remember that summer very well because that was when 
the Apollo 11 went to the moon. I was with my family on the day that the astronauts landed. And I remember the excitement in my household, especially for me, myself, who was a sky watcher since I was about the age of five or six years old. The way I got into astronomy was the fact that I used to lie in my bed and look out the window and I saw this really bright object in the sky and I was like, well, what is that? And I thought it was a star, but actually it wasn't. It was Venus. But that sort of piqued my interest and also the fact that, you know, as a child, you learn these nursery rhymes. So Twinkle Twinkle Little Star was my favorite nursery rhyme because I could look out the window and see what I thought was a star. The other thing that I used to do as a child was put a blanket out on the grass and just lie there, look at the night sky with my guitar, compose songs, and just sing because I just felt so a part of the universe as a child. I watched the moon landing of the Apollo 11 with Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and it was Michael Collins who was the commander of the, the capsule. And I remember watching uh, Armstrong come out of the lunar lander, and I think he was backwards, and he put his foot down, and it made me want to be part of the space race. So that was my ideal career choice as a child. I wanted to be an astronaut. It was at that point that I knew that's what I wanted to do because I had spent all of my childhood looking up at the night sky and wishing that I could go there, you know, and travel. As a child, your imagination, you think you can star hop or whatever, but that's not the case. But I didn't know that. It was just something that I wanted to do. The moon landing is so important in terms of history because it lets us know where we came from and how far we've come. So we can look back and say we did this, which gives us the courage to move out into space. Since I didn't go to the moon or become an astronaut, which is something, you know, is still one of my dreams and goals, I now have the opportunity at this stage in my career to prepare other young women to go even further than I have. And as a matter of fact, the University of Michigan is looking for bright young women and minorities to come to uh, the University of Michigan and study. I'm on the National Advisory Board there, so I'm always looking out for talent. That was Dr. Gersita Jones. Now we're going to hear from the executive producer of Great Performances, David Horn, who has a strong family connection to the space program. I'm a big fan of the space program. There were a lot of events leading up to the summer of 69 for me because I actually grew up with the space program when I moved to Cape Canaveral in 1959. And my father worked for every one of the programs from Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo through Skylab and the shuttle. 
So I was fortunate enough to see every, practically every launch, and including in 1969, the moon launch. Some of the launches I was actually able to see from the Space Center, including a remarkable one, I think it was Apollo 12, where when a rocket takes off, there's a giant entrail, and that creates a huge lightning rod. And this particular rocket was, Saturn rocket was struck by lightning. And that led to my father getting involved in lightning research, where they were trying to figure out ways to keep lightning from impacting these rockets. One of the great things about growing up in Cocoa Beach was being able to see every launch. It started when we were in elementary school and they'd march us to the beach. And then it got to be second hat and we'd just have a fire drill and go outside. But obviously we went to the beach for an important uh, mission like the Apollo 11. And like most people, it was on the moon landing, I would believe it was around 11 o'clock at night. And so we were all gathered around the television and it was a shared experience, which we had a lot of shared experiences on television back in the 60s. I think it's important to look back on the moon launch because of the accomplishment that was made by people who were given a goal and what can happen when you work together towards that goal. The most terrifying yet exciting thing I experienced was on the playground at our elementary school when they started testing the first Saturn rockets and it was like a tremendous earthquake. These rockets were unbelievably powerful. And we were about 15 miles away and the ground shook terribly. Clearly from that period, all the rest of my family and my mother, we have a lot of memorabilia, a lot of photos of my father in the space program and with the original astronauts that he used to fly around. But probably the most special one was given by NASA to all the participants in Apollo 11, and that was a little piece of the moon. You know, I hope that the space program gets revived. I was fortunate uh, when I was down in Cape Canaveral a couple years ago, I saw one of the Elon Musk experiments where they're trying to create reusable rockets. Um, he had had a lot of failed attempts to land a rocket on a barge. I think he was successful only once. But when I was there, I was sitting at a restaurant at Port Canaveral, and they had a launch and they dropped with a parachute and uh, retro rockets, the original booster rocket back onto one of the launch pads quite successfully. So that's one way I think the future of the space program will work. I think there's a lot of talk about Mars, but I think a further colonization of the moon, it's a much more reachable destination. I think that's really the future of the space program. That was Great Performance's executive producer, David Horn. Our final New Yorker is television executive Mike Costell. In the summer of 1969, I was in the seventh grade, and I had become really a fan of the space program. It's one of my earliest memories, because uh, when I was in kindergarten, our teacher said that we all had to pray for John Glenn, that John Glenn was going to orbit the Earth, and we all had to pray for him in Friendship 7. And I remember getting out of school and I couldn't understand why I couldn't see John Glenn in the sky. And then I got home and my mother explained, you know, there's a reason you can't see him. So really since my earliest memories, I've been interested in the space program really all the way through today. In terms of Apollo 11, the launch, we had a family of six, but we had one television. And specifically on, on the launch day and, and on July 20th, 
there was no argument about what we were going to be watching, and that was a the landing and then staying up late for the for the first spacewalk. It's funny. It meant one thing to me then, and I'll tell you now. When he said that's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind, it really made you think, "Wow, this is just the beginning of space travel and what was going to happen next." And it's sad to look back on it now, and it's really not the beginning, it's almost the end. Because after Apollo 11, the interest in the space program waned immediately. I, at the time, well, you know, I was 13 years old, I had a part-time job at a photographer's uh, uh, studio. And I would pack educational films up and ship them out to places like schools and things. And he had a press pass for the Apollo parade in Manhattan. And so he brought me along and I got to stand on one of the overpasses. So I wasn't amongst the masses. And I got to see the astronauts go by. And it really struck me how, it strikes me even more now, that these were really the last true heroes of, of my life. People who received adulation for doing something great and it had nothing to do with money. Uh, they were risking their lives, they were doing something great, and there really was that kind of joy. I don't know if, in, at least in my life, where I've experienced so much joy around people that was not motivated by a game or a tragedy. This was just something of, of just pure joy. And that's what I remember most from that day is watching the ticker tape come down. I had a little brownie camera, and I remember running down just to get a, a shot of the car as it went by. And I have a very nice picture somewhere of a blurred car where you can't see any of the three of them, but I've, I've certainly kept a hold of that. It's, it's funny, for me, I've found a way to work with NASA and the space program throughout all of my careers. I've worked with Alan Shepard when I was at Major League Baseball and talking about the Houston Astros. I've been down to launches or scrub launches at Cape Kennedy at two o'clock in the morning. Uh, with Channel 13, we actually got a testimonial done from the space station. So it's always been important to me. As a storyteller, there is really no greater story that hasn't been told enough. And that's about A, landing on the moon and B, what we can do. You have kids that go through grammar school and high school and college and the space program is never brought up. I don't understand how the most momentous event in the history of, of the world in terms of technology is not thought of as something that young people need to know about. You know, July 20th should be a world holiday, not just a national holiday. And if even it's not to celebrate the moon landing, it's to celebrate what's possible. You've been listening to the recollections of five New Yorkers, each of whose lives were truly transformed by the space program and by the moon landing of Apollo 11, one of the seminal events of the summer of 69. Chris, you're also coordinating a large social media effort for this project. Can you tell us more about that? On social media, we're posting film clips, we're posting polls, we're asking people about their favorite music, so people can follow along and get involved in the conversation all summer long as the anniversaries for these different events kind of come by. And I guess that's what you mean by engagement. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Chris. Uh, any final thoughts? It's very exciting that PBS and WNET have kind of taken this moment to look back so that we can see 
both with the moon landing and Woodstock and Stonewall, how far we have come mm-hmm. in the last 50 years and to see how our lives have changed and to give people, even those who were not around in the summer of 69, an opportunity to see what it was like when these really events of enormous magnitude were happening. Chris Chaika, WNET's Senior Director of Community Engagement, and also special thanks to Katie Young for her great interviews, and to Jasmine Wilson from Community Engagement for her helpful support. Also, thanks to Samantha Lobo for editing, to Josh Broom and Evan Joseph for their great work in audio C and D, and to our executive producer, Dana McBride. Thank you for listening, and join us again in a few weeks when the focus will be on Woodstock. Please share your questions and comments with us at upnext at WNET.org. And of course, do become a subscriber. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the Design and On-Air Promotion Department of WNET New York. I'm Tom Stewart.